What if everything you thought you knew about the criminal justice system and high-profile criminal cases wasn't true? Join a veteran Buffalo City detective, a veteran Canadian Pacific police captain, and a veteran NCIS special agent, along with their guests, as they dissect the criminal justice system and high-profile criminal cases from their perspective in an unvarnished podcast focusing on crime, corruption, and media bias. It's Search Warrant, coming right at you. And welcome to Search Warrant. We've been focusing focusing on a case that can be uh, best described as being about a detailed diary of criminal acts, collusion, corruption, prosecutorial misconduct, and a tainted juror, all of which has resulted in the largest ongoing miscarriage of justice in America. And in case you don't know, we're speaking about the uh, the Penn State Spaniard Sandusky case that has uh, been riddled with, again, collusion, corruption, prosecutorial misconduct, and now a tainted witness. But we want to kind of focus on the aspects of uh, prosecutorial misconduct, which of course lead to collusion and corruption. Today with a, uh, a special guest who um, has extensive knowledge of you know, the whole environment prior to this occurring while the trial was going on and subsequent to when the trial was going on. And uh, her name is Elaine Steinbacher. Um, Elaine, uh, welcome to Search Warrant. Thank you. When we spoke, uh, we spoke very briefly earlier, and you had occasion to testify on uh, June 19th of 2012 as a character reference for uh, Jerry in his, uh, in his trial. Is that right? That's right. I was and actually talking about one of the uh, victims who I happened to be at their house one day. When the victim came, the so-called victim came and brought his new child to introduce to Jerry and Dottie. That was the reason I was called, because why would a victim who had been abused want to introduce Jerry and Dottie as to his new child? That's really why I was there, to point out that incident. Wow, that is really... It was an all-day thing. I mean, it was Brett. I mean, I don't know if I want to name him, but it was Brett, and he... And I had known him before, and he came, like, so proudly to introduce. I, I felt like he wanted Jerry and Dottie to be the grandparents of his new child. He wasn't married to the girl, but definitely proud of them. And they just spent the whole afternoon there. Wow. Now, yeah. when was when was this? Um, a couple months prior to the trial? or uh, Probably 2010. Nine, oh. somewhere in there i could look up the date yeah but it was oh. a couple of years before Dottie and i went to kentucky fried chicken got the whole lunch jerry wanted to make it really nice for brett you know because he hadn't heard from brett for a pretty long while and he was really thrilled that brett was coming you know to see him again yeah bring this child so i guess um amandola thought that was a big deal you know like why yeah. would a victim want to do that that Definitely. was the reason I was on the stand. That's a very big, uh, that is a very big deal, actually. So Brett yeah. um, subsequently identified himself as a victim. Yeah, right? himself. yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, he despite, got 
Yeah, he's number three or number four. I forget now. You can despite, read it all the transcripts. Despite the fact that he was, uh, in in your view, exceptionally excited about introducing his child to Dottie and Jerry as more or less uh, the child's grandparents. Yeah, he's, well, I said that. I only remember because when he left, I said, you know what, Dottie? He's looking for you and Jerry to be the grandparents. Because, you know, when you have your first child, you're just so proud of it. You can't wait to show it off, especially to your mom and dad. And I just had the feeling that that's what that afternoon was all about. But wow. since then, I learned that I think Brett does have a father uh, oh. that kind of encouraged him to be a victim. You know, I read uh, oh. that later. Yeah, you can certainly read through the lines on that. It's you know, I have a question. So when... Uh, he he turned around like that and became a, a, a victim. Were you able to offset that with your testimony to, to say that he was actually very friendly with Jerry? And Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. But I didn't feel like I did a very good job because McGinnigan kept coming back to me and saying, you, you're best friends with Jerry, right? You do anything to help him when you. And of course, I had to say yes, yes, yes. So I felt like I didn't help at all, but I did get that story across. Yeah, that was the reason I was on the stand, but I didn't think I helped very much. Well, I, I certainly think that uh, knowing that that took place is it's inconsistent with being a victim in my mind. Oh, absolutely. You see so much of that. It's all in Mark Pentecost's book too. My whole story's in his book, The Most Hated oh, Man in America. That's a very, very good point. Very good point. Yeah. So now you are uh, you're a characteristic for Jerry on the June 19th of 2012 at the Center County Courthouse. Is that right? Correct. In Belfont. Yes, ma'am. And then um, did, how did you get there? Did you get there with Dottie? Did you and Dottie drive there? Yeah, I drove. I don't think I stayed overnight in her house, but I picked her up because... She just sent me a video where we're getting in the car and leaving. So I drove her and just planned on spending the day. And then I was prepared to drive her home again, which is what I we see. did. I see. Okay. And then, and then you testified in the morning. Right. I had driven all the way up from North Carolina, by the way. Jeez. I drove myself up from North Carolina to Belfont. Wow. And did, uh, Okay, now, um, during the questioning part of your uh, testimony, who, who uh, yeah, Joe Amendola presumably uh, questioned you to some degree? Yes. Okay. And then the uh, prosecutorial, the then prosecutorial team of uh, Fina and McGettigan, did they both? No, just, you? just McGettigan, McGettigan. Okay. But was was <laughs> was Fina there? Oh gosh, I don't remember. Okay, so McGettigan makes inquiries of you relative to this, uh, the information that you have about Brett um, essentially Brett. Uh, introducing his child to uh, Dottie and uh, Jerry as his as their grandchild, basically. Yeah, what a lovely afternoon! Just a lovely afternoon. You know, picnic on the back deck, and it was just the so-called victim, his girlfriend, and it was a toddler. The kid was standing up, like, around the coffee table and all. So he's probably 14 months old, 18 months old, 14 months, wow. something like that. Well, that's and certainly, he, uh, again, that certainly seems to be out of character for a uh, 
alleged uh, victim. So then um, you testify in the morning. And then uh, did you guys go to lunch or anything? Do I don't remember that? going to lunch. I might have walked out by myself. But I, I just remember sitting in that hallway and McGinnigan and Fina come walking in. And he stopped and he told me, you should be more careful about what you say about this case. Because we have so much evidence to put him away. Jury doesn't stand a chance. And oh then he said to me, think about your job. And I said, I just retired. I retired and I don't care about my job. And then number two, he said, well, then think about what you're doing to your children and your grandchildren. And to that, oh. I said nothing. Wow. Unbelievable. Did anyone else hear that? You know? No. I, so I say, I wish someone else had been, you know. How did you feel after they said that to you? I told John I was kind of naive and I don't know anything really about court cases. And I wasn't, I was surprised that my husband was so upset when I came home and told him that. I mean, I was surprised that he took that so seriously. And I had told Dottie when we were driving home. And after that, the other person I remember telling is John Ziegler and maybe some of, you know, my friends, Sandusky friends. Well, that was totally in Totally. You do not, you do not threaten witnesses. Yeah, I didn't realize that what it, what it was at the time, but I do now. That's what it, that's what it sounds like to me. It sounds like it was a threat. And I mean, I'm yeah. very, I'm very clear about that because I can see him, his face, his arrogance, his super coolness, his confidence. You know, I just can see it vividly today, and it was just those two comments that he made. And actually, I remember I didn't say anything about my. What about my children and grandchildren? Because I didn't, I didn't even get it. I mean, how could this possibly affect them? But of course, later on, I understand the larger scope of it all. You know, and I and yeah. I could see that. Uh, Elaine, could, I have a. What's that? Elaine, this yeah. is Tom. I have a quick question. Uh, did anybody in Amador's uh, crew or anybody out of any office that you spoke with offer? to help you file a complaint of witness intimidation? No. You know, now you brought up something. I feel like somebody told me I should tell Amadola. And, or maybe Ziegler did, or I did it in an email. But I think his comment was that it was too late. Couldn't, nothing, you know, oh, well, that's like water over the dam. That was the feeling I, that I got from him. He didn't make like it was that big a deal. Just be aware that if this goes to trial, it's not too late. This would be a good time to bring it up and file a complaint of witness intimidation. Okay. If it winds up a retrial. Okay, I hope so. It, it certainly, uh, you know, the prosecution is still going on in a very bizarre manner. I certainly think that, I mean, this is a, it appears to me to be a criminal issue of a, uh, you know, threatening a witness or intimidating a witness it, it certainly and for that matter you know it's a it's an issue that uh should brought be brought to the attention of the uh office of disciplinary counsel at the very least but a, in a criminal matter i mean it's something that uh clearly shows in the in the event that it it did take place and uh you vividly remember it it's a uh a criminal act during the course of a criminal investigation, you know, a criminal prosecution. And um, you just can't have prosecutors running around 
telling people that uh, you should be more careful about what you say it, on the case and uh, unbelievable. And then and then to uh, make a veiled uh, threat about your uh, employment and uh, children and grandchildren. I can't. I, I mean, it's despicable. It's despicable. Of course, Fina heard it. Fina heard it. He was standing shoulder to shoulder with them. Oh, as they, as they were walking Good. by. Yeah, the two of them. They were together, side by side. Uh, I know Fina heard it. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, Good it's luck a, with that. Yeah, it's interesting that you've got uh, <laughs> Fina, who uh, you know succumbed to uh, complaints at the uh, Office of Disciplinary Counsel and should be criminally charged. Uh, you know, hopefully that'll be uh, upcoming. And then McGettigan, who um, is his co-prosecutor, um, defended FINA at FINA's uh, ODC hearing. You know, it's, uh, you know, they're joined at the hip in regard to this. You know, if there's any prosecutorial uh, misconduct, obviously there's been a lot of prosecutorial misconduct in this case, and they're joined at the hip, um, it casts great doubt on uh, Mr. McGettigan's uh, involvement. Um, I just, somebody just uh, showed me uh, the beginning of his uh, website wherein he, uh, you know, touts his uh, um, ability in the uh, Sandusky case, with his, which is all crumbling now. So uh, we'll see how much longer that's on there, <laughs> you know. But you uh, I have another question. Was there another surprise witness that came forward that really surprised you? That was uh, otherwise, as far as you knew, very, very friendly with Jerry or respected Jerry? Um, well, I didn't hear all the other people that witnessed that day. I wouldn't say anybody was a surprise, but I told John that when I was waiting to go on the witness stand, there was a guy and a girl in the, whatever you call the room where you wait. And they were neighbors in the trailer park with Aaron Fisher's mother, Dawn. And they told me, the guy did at that time, that Dawn had said she was going to be, you know, get rich because of all this. I mean, that, that, that guy and that girl were just adamant about this was all about money. And oh, Dawn good. had bragged this was going to make her rich. Now, from that moment on, I knew it was all about money. Well, I sort yeah. of had thought it in the beginning. But the, I never wavered from the day of the trial that it was all about money. I mm -hmm. guess that's what triggered it in me, you know, that Dawn Fisher was. So that might have been like a surprise. But as far as other witnesses, I met How about another girl. Yeah, Jerry's, but, adopted, Jerry's adopted son, wasn't he? Oh, yeah, um, I thought I read something about that. Well, did they did. They didn't call or that's why Jerry didn't go to the witness stand and Matt didn't. He just turned on him. I don't think Matt never went on the witness. I was only there that one day, and then I drove back. So I wasn't really a part of seeing what was happening every day. But I do know about what Matt did, and I do know how what he said. And I actually wrote some comments up that if you about Matt that you might be interested in, if you would like me to. Yes. Elaine, if you, yes, we would we would appreciate that. Can you give us a, a little background on on Matt? I mean, you've known him for what fifty six years? <laughs> no, not Matt. <laughs> Matt was eight oh, years sorry. old when Dottie and Jerry met him. I guess I think Jerry met him at a second mile camp. 
So Matt was eight years old when he came into their life. At age 16, he came to live with them after staying in their house on many weekend visits. Then he asked Jerry and Dottie to adopt him at age six, at 18. He was adopted at age 18. And I said to Dottie, well, why'd you do that at 18? And she said, because he asked them to. Plus he wanted to go to Penn State and he would get a tuition break. So, I mean, I, I know, I knew Matt and his first wife, Jill, they had three children together and with his present wife, he had one child. So he's four children. And Dottie claims he's bipolar and has PDSD. But a couple of the interesting stories that I remember from as years ago, when Dottie's father was dying in a nursing home, Dottie was returning to Tennessee for a week and they were all sitting around the dining room table. And Dottie took care of all the checkbooks and all the bills. Jerry didn't do any of that. And she asked Jerry if he would know how to get money while she was gone if he needed it. And at that time, she told Jerry the code to retrieve the money. Matt never wrote it down, but he took money out of their account after she left about $100. And that was why he was in high school. And Matt also would steal checks out of Dottie's pocketbook. Oh, my. So one time he wrote a check on her account for his brother to buy furniture. And Dottie always had to hide her pocketbook after that. After Matt's divorce from his first wife, Jill, he returned to live at Dottie and Jerry's and lived in their basement. During that time, he stole a charge card out of Dottie's purse again and charged its sheets, getting gas at 12.30 at night. While he was living again at Dottie and Jerry's, he would leave his car in the driveway and it would get impounded. He would wake up in the morning and it would be gone. At one point, I think, Matt started his construction company, and in his ad, he quoted his adopted brother, sister, Kara, and EJ, writing positive testimonies they said about his computer that they had never ever, about the company that they had never used. So he's really a chronic liar, and he doesn't have any conscience, and there was actually a psychologist that said that about him, that he just has no conscience. Now, you know, he stole Jerry's championship ring, national championship ring, and Jerry had it wrapped in a sock and it was hidden behind the drawer. And somehow Matt found that ring and then he sold it on eBay or at a broker or somewhere. Oh my God. So he actually has no conscience and no heart. And Matt, oh, and then you know about him announcing to the whole family after hearing the so-called victim testify at the trial that he could lie like them and get a lot of money too. And during that week, he did indeed flip. He sought a lawyer to say he too was abused, but he hadn't realized it till the trial. He actually had Dottie babysit him for him during that trial when he turned on Jerry. And he, of course, literally put the nail in Jerry's coffin. Right before, this is the payoff to me, right before Jerry's trial, Matt got put in jail for not paying child support. Jerry and Dottie actually paid his bail to get him released. This oh was my right God. before the trial. Oh, my so, God. Wow. And if you go to his website, Peaceful Hearts, Matt Sandusky, you can read all about his speeches and the kind of things that he says. In this speech, he claims that Jerry and Dottie drove him to places where he could get and do drugs. So that would be like the most biggest colossal lie of all. That, that uh, seems uh, 
beyond the realm of uh, any possibility whatsoever. I mean, that's just, wow. He's just about as low a person as you can get. Even when Dottie took in a niece from Tennessee who was pregnant, unwed and pregnant, and Dottie and Jerry took her in, she had her baby. I would go visit, play with the baby, see the niece. And at the same time, Matt was living with them. So the niece and Matt started an affair. You probably, you know, oh, having sex. Yeah. I don't know if you call it an affair when they're teenagers. And of course, that infuriated Dottie and Jerry. And they had to send the niece home. The niece, you know, was sent back to Tennessee. And right. she'll, she'll, oh, and that's the one that Matt claims, you know, when they went to commit suicide, the two of them together, like Romeo and Juliet, it was that kind of story. They both took drugs to commit suicide because they couldn't be together. And then later Matt blamed that on his abuse by Jerry. That's why he committed suicide. But that whole act was about that little affair they were having. And this is their oh. star witness. Huh? This was the prosecution's star witness. Yeah. That's, okay. yep. Oh, you, brother. You, who Oprah had on national television. Oh, wow. Speak for child abuse. I mean, I, I've written to different places, you know, like child abuse organizations. When I hear he's going to come speak and I, you know, try to tell him, I'm, I mean, child abuse is real. And as a teacher, I mean, I'm a nationally recognized teacher. I would never condone child abuse, but not everyone that screams abuse has been abused. And I don't understand why these organizations think that everyone that says they're abused has been. He's capitalizing on this? He's uh, collecting money for these speeches as well? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think he started out doing pretty good. But I think it's, I think well, Oprah even felt like something was funny. I, you just got that feeling that Oprah didn't really believe him. But, you know, she would never retract that. The timing of all this is uh, very questionable to begin with. I mean, even from the... I, I, you know, to get back in to be uh, to be adopted, so you can get a uh, break on your tuition at Penn State. I mean, to be, just to begin with. I mean, just you know that 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 I don't know. That doesn't sit very well with me when you re initiate. You know, re uh, involve yourself into a uh, a family situation, so you can do that right off the bat. You know? Yeah. And it just seems to get worse uh, as it goes with the uh, with the theft. And uh, it, it shows a total disrespect for uh, the people that have raised you. It's beyond that. It's horrible. And know? it's unbelievable. Like, most of us wouldn't even, like, I would have never paid his bail money to get out of jail knowing what he had done. But that's how Dottie... And Jerry were. They went the second mile. They went beyond what anyone else would do. Yeah. You know, out of the goodness of their hearts. And yes, they were dumb in many ways. And that's how they got into this mess. You know, Jerry was stupid many times. You know. Well, I guess uh as opposed to stupid, I mean, would naive be better? Naive? Yeah. Overstepping, yeah. Yeah, naive because that's how he grew up. You just helped and you helped and you helped and you kept never giving up. He used to say, I had a fame, a quote, and I had it hanging in my office for a long time because I told you I worked with at-risk students. And the quote said, never give up on a bad boy. 
because a bad boy can turn into a great man. And I had a picture of a Cambodian kid that I was helping and getting out of jail lots of times with Jerry. I had taken him to a second mile camp. And I pictured Jerry and this Cambodian kid and that quote. And I often think about that now. And I think it should read, always give up on a bad boy because <laughs> a bad boy can turn into a bad man who will stab you in the heart. That's about yeah. sums the story. Yeah. Well, as 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 described, it it, it certainly uh, is indicative of Matt Sandusky. Yeah, Jeez. right. Now, the, so the other, so the other um, adopted children that uh, Dottie and Jerry have, how do they? Do you know how they feel about Matt's? Uh, oh, horrible, horrible, it's disgusted. I mean, especially John and Kara, EJ too, but I say uh, John and Kara, the second and third kids the most. Then there's Jeff. Well, you know, Jeff's had troubles. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just his biological makeup. He's still in prison. I mean, Jeff was the sweetest, most lovable guy, but, you know, as dumb as a box of rocks, you know, just totally. And then there's Ray that they adopted older, and he isn't anybody they could count on. I mean, Dottie was just telling me they haven't seen Ray for six years because the wife won't let Ray come visit him or see them. Oh, jeez. Wow. So, they, uh... None of them like Matt. Yeah. I even asked her that the other night. I mean, did uh, John and EJ ever get along with Matt? Like when you brought him into the house, did they ever like have fun together, enjoy each other? And she said no. So. Wow. Tom, did you have a question? I yeah, I, I do. It's a, it's a, well, first question, as far as Matt goes, when they adopted him, didn't Matt go through any kind of evaluation to decide uh, his health? For example, if he was bipolar or he was uh, a sociopath or a psychopath and had no conscience, wouldn't that have been brought out? And if that was brought out, wouldn't that be capitalized with the, with the uh, uh, defense team from Jerry? That's my first question. The second question you can follow up with quickly. Were you ever deposed about this bad behavior? And has there ever been any type of uh, deposition on behavior that you dealt with as far as FINA and company? Uh, threatening you and, and intimidating a witness? Has that ever been documented? No. If you do go to trial again, please get that documented. Please get that a deposition on that. Because an, a witness intimidation very important. I'm sure you have an attorney. <laughs> Not really. I stay away from attorneys. I always <laughs> said I would never <laughs> one. Right. I mean, I'll do it, but I don't know how to do it. Well, I don't know why you just want to just document. You can suggest it. somebody if somebody suggests somebody. I would suggest that the uh, defense team that's trying to resubmit the case. Yeah, right. Okay. Whoever the, just, just offer that that you'd like to you know, give a deposition on witness intimidation. I promise you their ears will perk up. That'd be a really great idea. And by the way, you are very brave and you're a great person. It's, oh it's really, really fantastic. 
You're a great witness, and I'm glad you you know you're here now and sharing this information with us. Well, I would do anything, as I said on the stand. When he asked me, would you do anything to help Jerry? And I said, yes, because he was my role model, you know. Him and I worked really closely together as far as I'd help him find the financial aid for kids because I was really good at getting money. And then he would give me all the programs, you know, that I could take our students to. I worked with that risk. New Americans, minority students in the migrant education program. Yeah, thank you. I will. Now, Anna, did you have a question? You had a question? Yeah, I was I was reading over some of the um, some of the items I saw on the media about trial. And I was looking into character witnesses. And I noticed over and over again anything that I read, they would minimize all of Jerry's witnesses saying that, well, they're just friends of his and that uh, his uh, defense began with a fizzle. And I'm reading things like uh, what, a, what a great guy he supposedly is, these, these kind of comments. Did that affect the general feeling um, of, the, of the courtroom or, or, or the area where Jerry was, like your neighborhood? Yeah, well, at the trial, it did. I would note just sitting there how nobody would type during anything that was being said that was good about them but as soon as the victims and the negative stuff they were typing away like mad I noticed that especially with Sarah Gannon because at one point I sat across the aisle from her and I kind of you know she was dressed kind of not very professionally and I noted her you know Sarah Gannon she was typing away the bad stuff but not the good stuff yeah, no, just, just for just for purposes of our audience, Sarah Ganim is the uh, the cub reporter who uh, subsequently allegedly broke this story, which, you know, having had an opportunity to review the whole thing. And I mean, many people are aware of the fact that, you know, she was fed information to make the prosecutor's prosecution's case stronger. And, you know, they just found somebody in the media that they could manipulate. Um, and she did a good job of being manipulated. And won the Pulitzer so, Prize, won a Pulitzer Prize. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and, oh. Uh, and since then has done zero. Yeah. Right. Yeah, so provided, provided least. In fact, you know, there, Jerry had a guy, he's 55 now, but he was much younger when Jerry hooked up with him. And he's in Special Olympics. He drives, and I. there's some ways he's pretty smart, but he was interviewed, and he lives down here, and I have befriended him. I've taken him from Dottie and Jerry. Jerry used to take him to his doctor's appointments, and Dottie did his checkbook, and now he's kind of like my friend here. And he will tell the story of how they, they tried to talk him into lying. I mean, Todd, his name is Todd Reed. He has quite a story to tell. He was supposed to testify, but he was sick and in the hospital when the trial was going on. So the, but it really infuriates me when Todd will start sharing that story of how they just wanted him to say that Jerry had abused him. Did but, he say who said that to him? Who who said that? Yeah, to him? I guess the police investigators, whoever was interviewing all the guys, because Todd had been with Jerry, you know, so much. Uh, Jerry used to call him a sidekick. He used to. Made, he made him manager of the football team, and he's from Vietnam. 
He's one of these guys that grew up in the orphanage in Van Locke. Have you seen that movie? And then he got adopted here when he was 10 years old by a couple who lived in State College. So Dottie and uh, Jerry got friends with Todd's adoptive parents here through a, you know, adoptive parent group, I guess. Oh, my but, God. This, you know, it just gets it just gets worse and worse. I mean, you know, you try to you try to um, manipulate a potential witness like that. Too. Oh, yeah. Todd I mean, gets up. You can read about Todd in uh, Mark's book, too. I think Todd's in there one whole chapter, maybe. Oh, boy. Just uh, it makes your your stomach blood boil. It makes your blood boil you know, to think an innocent good man is rotting in prison and there's no mercy. Well, we certainly have to follow up on this. Uh, yeah, well, let me ask you this. I mean, you know, you've known uh, Jerry and Dottie for an extended period of time. You've known, uh, you know, all the way from the uh, the football team uh, forward, right? Right. And, I mean, was there any indication that there was any of this that's been alleged was going on? No, no. I mean, and no one could believe that he what he wanted to do, you know, start that second mile house and give kids a second chance. And I mean, my husband and the two football players, there was four of them that were really good friends, were just in awe of Jerry, in disbelief that he would really seriously want to go through all this and do all this, you know, start the second mile house. And as Tom, who just died, Tom was roommates with Jerry once, he said that there were any indication, you know, that Jerry was off or abusing kids. Now, this would be when he was much younger, you know, they would have just beat his ass, you know. Yeah. Like... <laughs> and I'm all, they didn't start to accuse him until he was, what, 58, 62? He's going to start abusing kids at that age? Right. I mean, having, let me ask you this. Having lived in that area, and, and you know how tight-knit the community is. I mean, you can walk down the street and see somebody you know. And uh, Wait a minute, stop a minute. I didn't live in State College. I lived in outside Philadelphia. I lived in Holland, oh. Pennsylvania, and then uh, Kenneth Square. I never lived in State College, except the first six months Dahl and I were married. I taught first grade up there while he finished school. But that's the only time I lived in State College. But I would, you know, during these years when I started working, then I would take kids to Penn State all the time and stay a lot. And that's when I stayed at Jerry and Dottie's house. But I never lived there. Yeah, we just, we have not, uh, you know, we, we have not come across anybody that uh, said that uh, it was word on the street that this was, a, this was allegedly occurring. I mean, you know, it's kind of hard to, I mean, you have a community like that, you don't, you expect if there's something like that, you know, it's going to be surfaced, uh, you know, relatively immediately by virtue of the fact that a lot of people know each other. Yeah. And uh, that was not the case there. No, uh, I mean, neighbors will contest. They always had kids over. They always had picnics and parties and they had pretty much ground around their house and they were always, you know, playing ball games and roughhousing and, and Jerry liked being a goofball. He would dress up and act really goofy with kids, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I would call him a goofball. My husband always called him knucklehead. 
<laughs> yeah, that's a very good term. That's I guess I shouldn't have used the word stupid. Scratch that out. Well, no. I, I mean, sometimes you know, I think, well, how could you be so stupid? How could you do that? Well, I, you know, why I, would you go back for more when they told you not to? You know, why were right. you so stupid? Well, I think but, I think it more follows under the uh, definition of big kid, maybe. Yeah, exactly. He was yeah. a big kid. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like being it, silly and goofy with the other linebacker coach, you know, they would put on the craziest skits and kids would <laughs> laugh and, you know, mess around the pool, play in the pool yeah. hours and hours. That's really what he enjoyed yeah. was playing around with kids, not adults so much. He wasn't like that social with adults, you know. Right, right. No cocktail yeah. parties for Jerry. Right. Well, are, are, it's, they're not fond of, uh, I take it they're not fond of uh, um, alcohol or... No, no, they never drank. I mean, they wouldn't even let their kids go see movies. What is it when they rate it? I mean, a movie that I wouldn't even think was bad. You know, it had to be, you know, like Disney. It had to have G, G you know? Right, right. I mean, there was movies because I remember them complaining, oh, mom, dad won't even let us see, you know, whatever it is. Was it, I mean, any indication of any kind of drug use or anything there? I no, mean, no. How? No, just so, Donnie making healthy meals on the table at the right time. Everything. So, I so, um, delic. For so somebody to uh, suggest that, uh, they would take him to go buy drugs. Right. That's they, uh, know, they wouldn't know how to do it. They wouldn't even know about drugs. So, and never drinking, never drinking. Let me let me ask you this. I mean, you had a, a chance to uh, and were helpful in uh, uh, Jerry's foundation, uh, the financial aspects of things to see what they're available to them to pursue their education. Uh, when you were going through that kind of stuff, did you... Um, happened to notice what like how could you characterize Jerry's computer skills <laughs> I not I was not good I mean he knew how to type he used to type poems and I guess he typed them maybe he didn't but what I just told you earlier he didn't even write the checks he wouldn't have known how to get money out of the bank because Dottie took care of all that Oh my God! So his. So I would say his computer skills were nil. <laughs> um, yeah, and uh, so that the, the likelihood of him accessing any kind of uh, inappropriate uh, uh, material on the computer, do you think he would be able to to get to that part? <laughs> I can't say for sure, but I highly doubt it. he called people. He called kids all night long, you know, on phone calling. And then when I worked, I wanted to do that, too. I was like him. I wanted to call all these kids every night because I wanted to be like Jerry, you know, really reach yeah. out. Right, right. Well, hey, um, Anna, do you have any more questions? I just want to thank you. Thank you, Elaine. I think that this is not over. I think there's going to be a lot more uh, said about it, and and who knows that you won't be approached again to let someone know uh, what you told us today. It's 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 really a good thing that people realize that there's a lot more that went behind this that wasn't really publicized. Oh yeah, positively. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I just want to see justice. Yeah. You know, as, as do we. Yeah. 
if Jerry can't be cleared, I think everyone's in big trouble. You know, if this can not, if, the right, if this wrong can't be righted, then we all got a lot to worry about. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, again, to, to recap, you know, uh, in the past couple podcasts, we've, uh, you know, delved into the, uh, the Penn State Spaniard Sandusky uh, case and the uh, prosecutorial misconduct, the collusion, corruption, and now a, a tainted witness with our, our last podcast that clearly, uh, oh my God, it's just a, it's just a, a pile of dung, a giant pile of dung. <laughs> and uh, good description. It's, uh, you know, I in 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 uh, reviewing some of the uh, collusion, and as I'm sure you're aware, there was a uh, a senior member of the Free Group that had a detailed diary of their criminal activity that uh, you know puts a puts a big spotlight on everything that uh, that they have done that's uh, completely against the justice system. But I think they, you know, it's very important the. Uh, the aspect of the prosecutors um, having, you know, pursued a, uh, a, a circumstance and a road towards uh, witness and intimidation and, and uh, threats and veiled threats. So, I mean, just to recap, you're in there testifying on uh, in June 2012 at the Center County Courthouse. You have testified, you're in the hallway, um, and you're approached by Gadigan, the co-prosecutor, uh, and Fina, the co-prosecutor, and he says to you... Oh, you want me to say? Yeah, and oh. he, and McGettigan said to you... You should be more careful about what you say about this case. We have so much evidence to put him away. Jury doesn't stand a chance. Think about your job. Well, think about what you are doing to your children and your grandchildren. Geez, just appalling. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely appalling. And, uh, you know, it, it needs to be brought to the attention of the defense team, which has now become the prosecution team um, based on the... Uh, prosecutorial misconduct, collusion, corruption, and uh, that has gone on. But Elaine, we really appreciate you taking the time to uh, let us know. It's uh, appalling that uh, they have done this. And, uh, you know, like I said, as co-prosecutors, co you know, they're, they're a joint at the hip, hip, basically. And it's interesting to note that uh, that type of uh, that type of exchange would go on between a prosecutor and a witness. That exchange between a prosecutor and a witness is indicative of how they were approaching justice in this case. Well said. Absolutely well, appalling. I just appalling. wish while we're if some I just wish someone else had been sitting there that I didn't notice that heard it too, you know. I just well, hope someone else would come forward. Oh, I was there. I heard him say that to well, you. Well, you, you know the the thing is, is that you have contempt. You 
contemporaneously told, contemporaneously told Dottie, and you contemporaneously, contemporaneously told your husband and some of uh, your group of friends, which is really important because this is not a circumstance where you're bringing it to the attention of somebody years years ago. You're you're bringing it to the attention of other people that you know that you trust that are that is a uh, contemporaneous account of what occurred to you. And John Ziegler, John Ziegler, he was yeah. the one who got the most upset. Yes, yeah, uh, I, I I can't imagine anybody that has a uh, interest in justice to think that this uh, should be uh, should be un go unnoticed. I mean, this is a uh, a blatant disregard for the the uh, justice system, and you simply cannot do this. In the uh, as a prosecutor, um, you simply cannot have those kind of statements to witnesses. You know, so it certainly um, needs to bring be brought to the attention of the defense or the uh, the defense counsel and uh, see what uh, what can be done about it and be, have it be. Uh, you know, documented um, for further use. So, uh, Elaine, again, we really appreciate you taking the time to do this. You're very uh, welcome. You're a you're a, an awesome Thank lady you, to be able to do this. And uh, Tom or Anna, do you have any other questions? No, no other questions. But thank you, Elaine. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you very much, Elaine. We appreciate it. Okay. Bye bye. Bye bye. In the event that uh, as as this uh, case progresses and uh, the uh, the Pennsylvania judiciary and the prosecutors that were involved in this uh, entire episode of collusion, corruption, um, and prosecutorial misconduct, as well as uh, now we have a tainted with uh, juror. Um, clearly, if you have any other information that uh, may help in uh, seeking justice in this case. Um, you can reach out to us at uh, searchwarrantpodcast.com. We have a contact page. Um, I know that uh, we're all anxious to uh, get to the other uh, inquiries that we've had, other information that we've, we've uh, received as a result of this case. But clearly, when you look at it right now in a legal mind, the... Uh, the Pennsylvania prosecution uh, train and uh, the, the uh, Pennsylvania judiciary that has allowed this um, miscarriage, dramatic mis miscarriage of justice go on are now finding themselves in a hard place between a, between a rock and a hard place. So, uh, you know, we want to obviously uh, tighten the screws on that. So you have if you have more information. Uh, you can reach us at searchwarrantpodcast.com. Um, Tom, Anna, you have anything else to add? I would say um, I look forward to talking to Mark Pendergast as uh, she was um, citing. I'm sure he's got a lot more information as well. To, yeah. To yeah, I think that anybody that has not taken the time to read the, the most hated man in America, uh, Rush to, to Judgment, uh, Jerry Sandusky, um, it'll... It'll help your understanding of how this case became a, a complete miscarriage of justice. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, 
you know, something needs to be done with it now, we're all susceptible to uh, suffer the consequences of this kind of thing. Okay. Hey, um, as we uh, as we always say, if you're a law enforcement uh, community member and you have a uh, awesome case that uh, the media has uh, turned upside down and sideways, it doesn't resemble anything you've done, reach out to us. We'd like to uh, have an opportunity to explore your case and uh, promote the awesome work that you've done. And you can do that through uh, searchwarrantpodcast.com. And there's a contact page there. Um, just reach out to us and we'll be happy to uh, get back in contact with you. Okay. Um, you guys, uh, you guys take care. Thank you very much. Hang in there. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye.